This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Father, we come again in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love You. and Lord, we thank You. We thank You for what's been sung about here tonight, what we gather for, the good news of the Gospel, Your love for us expressed and the giving of Your only Son to take our sins away, to bear the wrath that we deserve. And Lord, to empower us to live in this world And to encourage us through the hope that one day we leave, go home. Home where we've never been before. And yet we look forward to going to spend eternity with you. We thank you for your grace and we pray, Lord, for more. Lord, we want to lift up the cup. And say, Lord, give us more. More grace. Grace to live each second. May it be uh, true that we live by the power of Christ. May it be evident that for us to live is Christ. And to die is gain. May you be glorified in us here tonight. And in all that we do, for as long as we tarry, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. If you would, turn to Matthew 25 with me. Till He returns... Or until we go home. Here, Here we stand... In Christ alone. Good words to remember. Matthew 25, and we come uh, tonight um, to the last section of this chapter. Uh, Maybe you've got a... um, And and incidentally, I should mention, um, I'm reading tonight from the uh, English Standard Version... um, and some of you already know, but um, I, I go back and forth. Sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm using the New King James, sometimes the English Standard Version. And I always have good intentions of making that known <laughs> prior to the reading, prior to the sermon. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I fail to do that a lot of times. Um, I've, I've used the, uh, the King James and the New King James for years. Um, for the last... Um, Ten years, I guess. That's that was the New King James was primarily what I used to preach from. Um, I, I I really favor uh, um, others as well, New American Standard. Uh, but but I, I use these because I really favor them. The New King James the, as in the uh, ESV. We we give a, a lot of um, ESVs away, and so so I've been leaning more and more towards. Um, Especially for kids. I mean, they're, they're, well, it's good, good for everybody, but we give a lot of them to kids. So I've been leaning more and more towards using it more. So just letting you know now, in case I, next time I don't mention it, you'll know, well, okay, he's, he's, he's either got the New King James or the English Standard Version. Um, but, uh, but I apologize for the confusion. I don't mean to cause any confusion there. But I am looking at the ESV tonight. And if your translation is like mine, uh, uh, your uh, not so much translation, but whoever whoever um, published your your Bible, um, they probably got a little heading here at verse 31 that says something like the final judgment, and um, that's what we're going to be be looking at tonight. Uh, so let me go ahead and read, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll go through this, um, asking for the Lord's help as we do. <clears throat> verse 31. 
When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it, To one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not. Visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of His Word. We've been looking at several parables here. And and I do want to, um, again, just kind of stress the fact that we're in the This is the same discourse. We're in the same context, even as other events that have taken place during this this last week of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, As I talked about this morning, I think some of the same things are fresh on Jesus' mind. And we've we've seen just kind of a a telling and a retelling through the different parables. what is what is about to take place? Not only in the in in the immediate future for the disciples there, but but even stretching on beyond into our own day and into the last day. I think Jesus has the whole church age in view here when he talks about some of the things that he's talk, talking about, because he's referring to his second coming, which hasn't has not occurred yet. And so we've seen um, continued again said and reset in different ways. Uh, indictments against the Jews, in particular the the uh, the Jewish religious leaders, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, for their mishandling, for their mishandling of of what God had committed to them, to that nation. We've seen their hypocrisy revealed. Jesus pronounced several woes, for example, against the Pharisees and the scribes in chapter 23. Referred to them, for example, as blind guides, blind fools, blind men. And repeatedly as hypocrites. Indicted them for their failure to give attention to the weightier matters of the law, 
justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They had all of the, all of the outward show. They were good at cleaning the outside of the cup. And the outside of the plate. But in the inside, Jesus said, there's greed and self-indulgence. So, he's, he's exposing their worthless religion. In the eyes of men, they, they looked like um, leaders who were committed to, uh, to, to God's Word and to God's work. In reality, Jesus is saying there's no love of God in them. And so again, as we discussed previously, he, he begins to pronounce judgment upon them and upon the nation of Israel, the, the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel as a whole for their repeated rejection of the will of God, which is now culminating in, uh, in, in their rejection of Christ. God over the centuries has sent prophet after prophet after prophet, prophet and righteous men, as Jesus says, and just over and over again, they face rejection. Or there might be a short, temporary time of revival and then right back to the same empty practices. And so Jesus is saying uh, that all of, the, all of the righteous blood shed from that of Abel all the way through to the very end. Um, when Zechariah was stricken down in the temple, all of the righteous blood, he says, is coming on this generation. And he pronounces judgment upon the nation of Israel. We talked quite a bit about that. And I think much of what he talks about in chapter 24 was, was fulfilled in 70 A.D. And yet he still looks forward to another time of judgment, the ultimate, the last judgment. And that's what we're dealing with here. Now, again, we've seen in the parables Jesus describe um, His coming and how it, would, how it would be. Some would be caught off guard. He's given us reason, the reasons why that's going to happen. In other words, there are those that are faithful who are doing what He's given us to do and are ready in that sense. That is, they, they, they live um, in obedience to the Lord, faithfully doing what We've been committed to do. On the other hand, there are those who he refers to as wicked and unfaithful servants who are not looking for the Lord's return. That is, they're not preparing themselves for it, and they're caught off guard. Now here, one of the, one of the interesting things here, and, and uh, what makes it uh, so sobering as well, this is not a parable. And it, it, it has some uh, parabolic elements to it. If you go back uh, again to the very first part of it, when the son, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in glory, all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So there He uses some... Um, some analogies there, some parabolic language, pictures himself as a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. But the, the details that he's giving here are real. It's, an, it's not a parable. It's not an analogy. In this, in this instance, he's not saying, when the Son of Man comes, it will be light. Or there was a king, or there was a landowner, or this. No, he's saying this, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to play out. When the Son of Man comes. Still answering, uh, I think, the, the question in, in uh, the early part of chapter 24, when he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and his coming in glory, and the disciples say, when will these things be, and what will be the signs of his coming? And he's been expounding on that. Ever, ever since, and at the same time, driving home this exhortation to be ready. Be ready, be ready, because that, that it's going to happen is sure. When it's going to happen, he says no one knows. 
So just be ready. And we've talked about uh, what I think is Jesus' description of how to be ready. And we're going to see more of that here. Now, I mentioned this morning that I really think what we're seeing even in these parables, as He describes how to be ready, He has in mind relationships. That is, there is a, there is a way that love for God shows. It manifests. And he's been talking about that and describing that. And we talked about that uh, specifically this morning with the parable of the talents. And I think that's what he's saying there when he talks about them being entrusted with, with the, um, the man's property. It's, it's, it's a type of the kingdom of God, the church. God is entrusting His servants with care for one another. And He expects us to work at that. Loving one another. Doing for one another. The love of God, love for God, manifests. It, it reveals itself. It bears fruit. Lack of love for God manifests as well. And that's the contrast we're seeing. So, for example... Lack of love for God. Where do we see that here? Well, with the Pharisees, right? That's why He pronounces the woes against them with all of the unbelieving Jews. There was religion, and there's, there's never a, re, a rebuke for them not being religious. He doesn't say you're not religious enough. He's pointing out their hypocrisy in their religion because there's no real love for people in it. In fact, they were exploiting people. There's no real love for people in it, which means there's no real love for God in it. Where there's no love for people, there's no love for Christ. Now, in fact, let's just get a little more specific with that. Where where there's no love for God's people, Where there's no love for God's people, there's no love for Christ. And John said, we know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And those aren't empty words, church. I mean, in other words, what John is saying is, there, it can be seen. Our, our love for the brethren is manifest. Fellowship is a word, in fact, that John likes to use repeatedly. <laughs> you read the first epistle of John, for example. It's the idea of being partakers or participants or partners. And John just uses it again and again describing the Christian relationship. We're, we're partners, we're partakers. And it's an evidence. We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. That is, brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes the word brethren um, means brothers and sisters. They just use the, the, uh, uh, the masculine form uh, when, when a mixed crowd is being spoken about. Uh, it's that uh, we, we tried years ago and tried and failed so far to take uh, Spanish. And, uh, but I, I remember that, though. Um, yeah. yeah, our son. Yeah, he's done well at it. Uh, our oldest son. Um, but it was the same way in Spanish. I remember, I remember uh, learning that, for one thing. If, if, you were, you know, if you were talking about, you got one designation for um, females, another designation for men, but if it's a mixed crowd, they would use the masculine form. So, don't ask me what those are in Spanish right now, because I, I, I don't know. <coughs> Leslie might. No? Okay. But it's the same way. So, when you see that term brethren, like John says, we, or, we know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. He doesn't just mean that men of God love other men of God, <laughs> period. No. Brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. 
brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, Jesus says this is the way it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. What will it be like? When will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And He's still answering, still answering. When, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels, now we know for sure, at least this is the way I take it, that He's talking about the second coming, the final coming, the last day. He's going beyond now um, the destruction of Jerusalem. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. What a picture that is. There's no, no symbolism there. Then He says, before Him will be gathered all the nations. No symbolism there. In other words, this is reality. This is what's going to happen. It's like picking up the paper this morning and reading about something that happened last week. History recorded. Although you, you can't always count on the newspaper to get it right anymore. But, but you, you presume when you read it that that really happened. Well, this is like that, except it's future. And it's definitely true. This, there's no false reporting here. When the Son of Man comes on His glorious throne, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. Nobody's excluded. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from his goats. Now, this this little part here is where I would say, again, there's some parabolic um, language here. That of a shepherd, sheep and the goat, the righteous, that is, believers are represented here by the by the sheep. Unbelievers are represented by the goats. And then we used to raise goats. And if you've ever had goats, you understand why Jesus used them to describe the wicked. <laughs> uh, actually, we, we, we like them. But um, the righteous are represented by the sheep, the unrighteous by the goats. And then he goes on to say, and he will place the sheep, verse 33, he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. So, um, he's saying there's, there's going to be, at the last day, there's going to be judgment, and there's going to be a division. People divided up two categories. Two categories of people. And I, and I would say, even now, these, these are the, the categories, when, when we think about people and dealing with people, these are the two categories we need to operate with. I don't care what color somebody's skin is, what shade it is. Doesn't doesn't matter to me. I don't care if they grew up in inner city Chicago, Ghana, West Africa, Castro, Louisiana. Doesn't doesn't matter to me. Yeah, those are all big metropolitan areas, I believe. Um, but um, none of that should matter to us. Doesn't doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile. What matters is. Are they in Christ or still without Christ? Are they saved or are they lost? There's two categories, sheep and goats. And for now, you know, we're not at the judgment yet. So now, I mean, we ought to love the brethren. We will. Christ is in us. We love the brethren, the sheep. We're sheep ourselves and we're sheep lovers. And we ought to love the goats in this sense that we get the gospel to them. In other words, we believe in conversion, right? A change of nature. So I know if if you're raising like like again we did, we used to have a little herd of goats, and I had absolutely no hope that I was going to walk out there one morning and there was there was going to be a herd of sheep. They were all going to be converted. <laughs> I I had no hope for that, and it never happened. But, when we're talking about people saved and lost, we've got great hope that lost people can be converted to saved people. If, if you've been saved, you, you know that hope. I mean, we shouldn't... Who was it? Um, yeah, John Newton, the, the, the author of Amazing Grace. John Newton said, I have never despaired of any man since God saved me. 
we've got great hope. Now, for what we see as goats, I mean, that is unbelievers becoming believers. But at this point that Jesus is describing, this, this is the final division. There's, there's, as I understand it, there's no conversions beyond this point. The dividing that He's going to do here, the right and the left, and by the way, that's probably symbolic, but the point is just that He's going to divide them. The, the division that Christ um, brings about here, the dividing that He does here is, is final. We're going to see that in a few verses down. Then the king, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, that is to the righteous, to the believers, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, listen, <laughs> that's the reality. The parable that we talked about this morning, and you've got, you've got the master who comes back and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. This is the real deal here. This is, this is when it really happens. The last day, when, he, when Christ comes in His glory and He's seated on His glorious throne and He separates the believers from the unbelievers, finally... He said to the believers, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We need to notice this next word, verse 35. A little three-letter word that has great significance. For. Because what he's about to do is explain. Enter in because, because of this, what he's about to say. For. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For. For. I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Does that, does that sound like caring for people? You, you maybe see even more now. I tried to give some reasons this morning. I didn't go here because I knew we were coming here tonight. But I tried to give some reasons this morning why I was interpreting the parables the way that I was. And this is certainly part of the reason. What he describes when he describes the actual event and the reasons that he gives behind what takes place here to the righteous, to the sheep. When He describes their life and conduct, it is a life given to service. It's a life of love. It's everything we don't see in the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Sadducees, many of the unbelieving Jews. Look at their response. They're, they're, they're shocked because he says, you did these things to me. And they're thinking, when did, we, when did we encounter you? Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? King will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. <clears throat> Here's the principle. What you do to the church, 
My brothers, Jesus says, what you do to the church, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, what you do to the church, you do to Jesus. Now, depending on what we do, I mean, that, that can just uh, cause all kinds of excitement. Or that can just be very, very convicting and sobering. But don't forget that. What you do to the church, you do to Jesus. Your brother and sister in Christ. Paul's going along his way on the Damascus Road to destroy Christians in Damascus. And Jesus stops him in his tracks and says, his name was Saul at the time, and Jesus stopped him in his tracks and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Don't you know that? Got his attention and he's persecuting you when you mistreat God's people, the sheep, His brothers, as He says here. Or, when you treat them well, when you bless them, the Lord takes it very personal. What you've done to them, you've done to me. In verse 41, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that is That is strong condemnation. Depart from me, you cursed. Matthew 7, he says, you lawless ones, you workers of iniquity, lawless ones. For, verse 42, there there again, for, for, in other words, why is he pronouncing this judgment? For, I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they're thinking the same thing. When did we, when did we encounter you? We, no doubt, they're probably thinking, look, we would have done anything for you. We would have washed your feet. Oh, we would have clothed, we didn't know you were naked. We would have clothed you. We didn't know you were in need of food. We would have taken care of you, Lord. No, they wouldn't. Verse 44, They also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and did not serve you? You see that that's that's the issue? That's, That's the separator? What What was so evident in the lives of the Pharisees and the scribes and Sadducees and others. They had no heart for service to the people. They were there to lord over the people. They were there to take advantage of the people, to profit from the people, to rob the people. There was no heart for service. Verse 45, Then He will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now notice one thing here. In verse 41, He says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We know that's a description of hell. That's what he's he's talking about there. The The final state of those who are separated from God. Eternal damnation. Again, in verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment. I point that out just because some dispute the fact that it's eternal. Jesus said it's eternal. 
And in Revelation, it, it says the smoke of their torment ascended forever. These are eternal consequences. <clears throat> now, I want to be, before we close, and we're about done here, but I want to be really, really clear. Um, I had a, had a uh, I think I mentioned this to you all before, but I had a, just recently, and I've had, had discussions like this several times, but just recently had a guy that I know came and asked me, he said, he said, look, uh, wait, well, I don't think he's really asking the question, but he's, he, he, he said, I heard a Baptist preacher say on TV, he said, I heard a Baptist preacher say, we're saved by works alone. I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And, and, I, and I want to be clear here. I want to, like yourself, I want to be clearly understood. And plus, I just want to make this distinction. This, this guy has been a friend for a long time. Um, he, he's a Roman Catholic. And he said, well, I think it also takes works. I said, well, um, or he said, he said it in some way like works were necessary or something like that. I said, well, um, work, yeah, works have to be there. We have to do good works. That's one of the things I'm trying to make clear tonight. Yes, yes, the works have to be there. But, They don't save you. The works don't save you. They're the result of being saved. Now, he said, he quoted somebody, I don't know, but he said, I can't remember now, but he said something to the effect that, you know, it's faith in Christ plus, you know, doing good works. And I said, well... I understand that that's Roman Catholic doctrine. But I don't, um, I don't think the Scripture teaches that. Now, one reason I bring that up is, is, is for this reason. I think the Scripture is clear when you're talking about salvation, when you're talking about God regenerating us, giving us the gift of eternal life. It is solely by grace alone. In other words, He didn't see anything in me that I did. Or anything that I was going to do. He didn't see anything like that and say, you know, with faith in Christ, plus what He's doing there, that guy can be saved. The only thing I have earned on my own is damnation, condemnation from God. The natural mind is at war with God, Paul says. It's not subject to the law of God. And neither indeed can be. So the only thing that I have earned or anybody else has earned is eternal damnation, what we're seeing right there. So, does that mean that works are not necessary? That's the question I want us to consider in about the next three minutes. <laughs> I know, that's a big question, isn't it? Especially for three minutes. Because here's the deal. I think the guy, that I, the, the, the guy that I'm talking about, I think he was dead wrong. It's, it's not faith in Christ plus anything. But I also think that those who say it's faith in Christ and no works are necessary, period. I think that's also a wrong view. No works... Save us, but they do evidence our salvation. 
Simple little illustration. You've heard me say it a thousand times. Probably heard a lot of other people say it a thousand times. Take an apple tree. It does not produce apples to become an apple tree. It produces apples because that's what it is. Like we, we said in Sunday school this morning, to the root. That's, that's what the roots are. And so that's what sprouts up and, and then it produces apples. <clears throat> but if it's an apple tree, it's not going to produce bananas, is it? It's going to produce apples. So it doesn't produce apples to become an apple tree. It produces apples because it is an apple tree. Now, that's what I'm saying about works. Are they necessary? Yes. In other words, it is the evidence that we're saved. We, we, we're, we don't do works to be saved. We do works because we are saved. Why didn't the Pharisees and the scribes and the other hypocrites that Jesus indicted, why didn't they do the kind of works that He describes here? You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me in prison and when I was sick. Why didn't they do that? Because they were the goats. They were the unrighteous. They didn't have it in them because they didn't have the love of God in them. And because they lacked the love of God, they lacked the evidence that the love of God produces. Because they were not saved. Because they were unregenerate. They lack the evidence that comes along with being saved by God's grace. And why do we do good works? To be saved? To be justified before God? No. To add to our salvation? I become more holy by doing good work? No. Paul says to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? And that's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. No works saved you. No works are going to keep you saved. So, I want to, I want to try to be clear on that. But at the same time, I want to be clear on what I think the Scripture is clear on. No works save you. No works are going to keep you saved. But they do evidence the reality of your salvation or the lack of it. Jesus says, enter in, for you did these things. Depart from me, you cursed, for you didn't do these things. As He's saying the righteous were saved by their works and the unrighteous were condemned because they didn't have those works? I don't think so. I think what he's saying is their works, bad or good, revealed who they really were in their heart. And that's why he refers to them as the righteous and the unrighteous. And when the Spirit of God breathes life into a human soul, justifies them based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ, births them spiritually so that the soul is regenerated. We've got a new spirit, a new heart, the Spirit of God within us. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, that can't help but have an effect on our life and conduct. There's a difference in life and death. Lazarus wasn't the same man inside the tomb and out of the tomb. He didn't even wear the same clothing for very long. Because he went from death, dead to alive. Real quick, and then I'm done. Ephesians 2, you, can, you don't have to turn there. You can turn there if you want to, but if not, I'll just read it. Ephesians 2, um, verse 7 through 10. Um, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now that's how we're saved. For by grace, that is, it's a gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It's not your own doing. Paul says, your salvation is not your doing. You can't get much clearer than that, can you? 
John, in the first chapter of his gospel, says, it's, it's not of the will of man. You can't birth yourself into the kingdom. It can't be done. Jesus, talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, He doesn't say, Nicodemus, get born again. No, He doesn't say that. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Or else you can't even see the kingdom of God. It's not your own doing. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation, faith, it's a gift of God. God gives it freely to those who believe. It's, it's not, and even the faith, as he says here, is a gift. It's not our own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Think maybe he's trying to drive something home there? I mean, he starts out this chapter by saying, you were dead in trespasses and sin. He made you alive. He made you alive. You raised anybody from the dead lately? I haven't. And I didn't raise myself. He made us alive. So he starts out with that. You are dead. You who are dead. He made alive. It's not your own doing. It's not a result of works. So that none may boast. God doesn't want you getting the glory. <laughs> he wants the glory for Himself. And it has to be that way because we can't do anything to save ourselves anyway. He's not sharing the glory. It's not of works so that no one may boast. Do you see that if you, if you help, then you've got something to boast of. You say, I'm saved by faith plus my good works. Okay then, here's what we do then. We divide the credit. Jesus gets some of the credit and I get some of the credit. And Paul is essentially saying, God forbid that that should be so. You're not getting any of the credit. I'm not getting any of the credit because we didn't have anything to do with it. It's the gift of God. So it's not a result of works, verse 9, so that no one may boast. For But listen, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, here's the deal. I said, I think it was last week, Christianity is not a works-based religion, but it is a working religion. We are God's workmanship. That means God is at work. He's at work in us. Now, when God is at work, do you, do you think that um, anything changes as a result of that? Do you think that there may be any evidence of that? When, when He just, as by the tips of His fingers, as it were, created the universe, in an instant, light comes into being. In an instant, plants and animals, just, just at His voice. Divine fiat. Light, be! And boom, there's light. And there's sun and moon and stars and there's plants, all different kinds of animals, uh, various kinds of cattle. Just, just as He speaks, when God works, and, and that's what Jesus called it, Jesus said, My Father works hitherto and I work. When God works, things happen. Things change. I'm, the Big Bang's not such a bad word for it if you just understand it rightly. <laughs> for we are His workmanship. That's another Big Bang. When He creates life in us, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you see that? Do you see that? You're created in Christ Jesus so that hopefully you'll agree to do some good work. Or hopefully there'll be some evidence of the power of God at work in your life. No, that's not what he says. He's, I mean, he seems to be convinced that, there, that it's going to happen and that there's, it's going to show. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. They are necessary. God planned it. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Clothing the naked. Feeding the hungry. Visiting those in prison. 
and those who are sick. Serving. Serving. Living a life of service. A life of self-denial. For our brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, there's a sense in which we love all people. Like I said, we evangelize. But if you look at the wording... In, in, uh, in Matt, and certainly, you know, there are people out there that don't even know Christ. They're hungry. We, we want to extend help to them, feed, and so forth. But you look at the language of Jesus in Matthew 25. He's talking about, I think, His own people. If you've done it to my brothers, you've done it to me. If you've done it to the least of these, that is, of my brothers, you've done it to me. That doesn't, again, that doesn't, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't exempt us from loving um, non-Christians as well, but I'm just saying in that in that account, I think he's focusing in on the evidence that will that the world will see of our salvation. They will know you are my disciples because you love one another, and that's what he's describing in Matthew 25. Loving. One another. That is what God prepared beforehand we should do. God is at work in us. And because of that, we work. We we work because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Would you stand, please? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.